Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs>Welcome to the fourth pillar of play, a Night Shift Radio production, where we support your adventure in tabletop game design by learning and doing right alongside you. Hey, Talon. Hi, Josh. How you doing? I'm not doing too bad. Episode one. Right. So we're coming in from our episode zero. Right. So everyone is showing up. They're, they cannot wait for our first monster design. On that note, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, the first thing that you know we need to we need to talk about is that we have some we had some ideas yep. uh, collaborating after mm-hmm. listening multiple times to our own right. We episode. sat down to figure out well let's figure out let's figure out a monster let's figure out a monster, and we came to a conclusion. <laughs> we, we we need to do the world first. We need thinking. to have some world. We need at least have some world. Some world. Yeah, we want to put it somewhere because I just kind of felt like it's n- you can make the monster accommodate the world. But I just felt that at the level I'm at currently, and that presumably you're at because you agreed, maybe we should start with a, you know, give it a place to stand first right. and, and build from there. Come up with at least some special defining characteristics right. of a world because eventually they're going to inform each other and we can make edits to that world as we go, but we really right. should have a place to start. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to do is I did want to do one correction from our episode uh, zero. Um, and that is in, during the course of it, I believe that I mentioned that the original Ravenloft module was written by Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. I was The legendary course, team. I know, right. Yeah. But I was confusing my Dragonlance with my Ravenloft. Right. Um, even though Lord Sloth did eventually end up in Ravenloft in his own novel. Yeah, that's true. Did you ever read that book? I never read it, but I'm aware. Yeah. It was good. It was one of my favorites. It was yeah. on my Dragonlance shelf. Yeah. But it was actually uh, Tracy and Laura Hickman who wrote the um, original Ravenloft module. Well, I'm glad there was only one mistake in the whole thing. It was half a mistake. I'm I'm glad it was only half a mistake. I'm sure we didn't get anything else wrong. Exactly. Nothing. And if we did... Anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we want to start a little bit with a world. Now, all right, I'm going to say some names. Okay. What what kind of names are these? What are these? Names of worlds. Oh, coming up with names, the best part. These are world names. Best part. Does sarcasm come across best? Okay, uh, go. Let's hear the names of the words. Uh, okay, so I'm just, I used, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with it, I used a website called Fantasy Name Generator. There will be a link in the show notes yep. um, that uh, generates random names. And it's 
a fantastic tool for kickstarting your imagination, some of the results can be pretty funny. But there is a section on there called World Names, and I used it. And then I did a little bit of editing, and here we go. You just, I just want to hear your gut reactions. We're not marrying any of these okay, at the that's, moment, that's good. but I want to hear your gut reaction to sure. some of these. Aorethra. <laughs> um, no. I'm thinking that's a, that's a no. That's a no. I mean, I guess it depends on the types of games, stories we want to tell. But yeah. Um, but probably not in this case. Yeah. That's, that's but if it. anyone randomly got that, hang on to it if you love it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of like, you know, I loathe apostrophes. There's but in, in fantasy names. And fantasy names so depend on the apostrophe. I know. Like, I almost feel like. I mean, fantasy I, names ultimately is is probably going to be one of our biggest challenges. I think it's any design's biggest challenge. Sure, because there's it's hard to come up with a name that really strikes true and rings true. Well, and, and what gets really tricky is you can only come up with so many real-world cool names without also being cliched. Right. You know, like you could go, well, his name is, you know, Thomas Bloodwolf. You know? Right, <laughs> You know, and exactly. suddenly you're an image comic from the 90s. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to say Aerethra is no... Right is, is is a big big old no. Totally, I would say that's um, a big one. There's there's a continent there named Catheter. Aordan. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay, that that's not that's not terrible. I don't. I also don't like it, but it's not terrible. Okay, okay. but it's it's you started off with the right one because that you know with the urethra one. Uh, that am I pronouncing that right? Was it urethra? Aorethra. Anyway, Aorethra. With, with that one, I, everything else is going to sound better. If I have to afterward. work this hard at pronouncing it after right. writing it myself, pass. from a, it pass. Exactly. Right, exactly. Aordan, Aordan. spelled A O U R D A N. Okay. Adenora. A-D-E-N-O-R-A. That one's okay. Was it stuck in the A's? Did it yep. get stuck in the A's? It didn't, but I wrote down a bunch of A ones first. Okay. Oh, okay. I see what you did. What was this last one? A D E N O R A. Adenora. All right. That sounded like a spelling bee entry, but it right. wasn't. That's not terrible. It's All not right. terrible. Okay. Yeah. Rulan. R-U-E-L-L-A-N. That's like, again, these are fine. Okay. As you would say, whelmed. Fainara. F-A-I-N-A-R-A. I like the word fain. I do. I do like the fain. That one I like the most of all of them so okay, far. Okay. So Fainara. Yeah. Fainold. Fainold. No. Okay. So I think we're getting closer. Okay. Esterach. E-S-T-E-R-A-C-H. Nice little Celtic sound at the end there. Esterach. Um, okay, yeah, no, actually, I like that better. So, clearly, I don't like A's. I guess. A's must trigger something. You just are anti-A. Yeah, exactly. And last one, Esterold. E-S-T. I like Esterock. E-R-O-D. Esterock? Esterock? Esterock. I like Esterock of those and the first Fey one. Okay. Those are the two that, you know. We're not making any decisions right now, but. Really quickly, yeah. And, you know, that's, I would assume that's part of it. Like, I wonder how much when professional game designers are designing a game, they start with a name or do they start with the design and then come up with a name? Again, well, I think we mentioned this in Zero when we we're talking about Ravenloft. Yeah. So. And again, I wonder how often, it's got to be rare that the first name is the one you stick with. Absolutely. I would think. Um, like, I want to ask Keith Baker how long it took him to come up with the word Eberron. Right. And that's a fantastic it's name. It's a fantastic name. Yeah. You know, I know like Christopher Paolini when he wrote Aragon. And mm-hmm. someone asked him, how did you come up with the name Aragon? It's so cool. He said, I took the word dragon and changed the D to an E. Right. So, Which made me very frustrated when yeah, I heard that. Yeah. yeah. I know any short stories that I've ever just written for myself always just have placeholder names. Mm-hmm. Like I know full well this is not going to be the great hero Bob. Yeah. But I just, I, but it, you know, 
I think in the creative process, you just have to do that. Like, I'm just going to throw something in here because if I don't, I'm not moving forward. Right. And that's, I think that's the, the important thing we're getting at here is that when you're designing, yeah. it's, you need to not let yourself get hung up on details. Right. Be, give yourself the grace and the forgiveness to write in. I, I use XXX. Yeah. I know. Uh, and I'll write like XXX did something with something. Like that. Right. Force for the trees and everything. All right. So welcome to insert name here. We'll come up with one eventually. Right. Yeah. If it'll, It'll be awesome. So in episode zero, we said that when we came up with a world idea, I wanted ancient mysteries to unravel, Mm -hmm. and you wanted uh, oppressive forces to overthrow. Some type of hierarchy. Hierarchy to overthrow. All right. So we've both been brainstorming and stewing ideas for worlds for a week. So Josh. Yes. You have 30 seconds. Okay. So (laughs) I will probably go over 30 seconds. No, it's not allowed. Well, okay. Then are you keeping track? No, I'm I'm not. Of course, keeping track. So you have... You have roughly 30 seconds. Roughly 30 seconds. Okay. Approximately 30 seconds. Give me the history of a world. Okay. So hopefully this qualifies. So this was built off of an idea of yours that you've brought up and I brought up again, which was the world of giants that has been abandoned. Yep. So I'm going to read what I wrote. Okay. So what I called it was the hulking expanse. And so what I've written is, in ages past, adventurers and entrepreneurs from across various planes of existence were drawn to the ancient hulking expanse, a mysterious world encircled by stone paths fit for a giant race long ago washed away by the magical water known as the wondrous tide. This chaotic liquid capable of imbuing places and objects with all manner of amazing effects. But for reasons lost to time and the tide ceased, as did all extra planar travel to the hulking expanse. Thousands of years ago, beings from many disparate civilizations were drawn to the magical gold rush caused by the wondrous tide. But they were left, cut off from their homes and their culture. In time, they built the world from, a, from being like a magic industrial place to an actual home. Uh, they delved deep into the world, finding mysterious locations and leaving new ones as civilizations rose and fell. Now the remnants of the tide have been found deep in the earth and magic has sparked again. Wow. So that was... That's fantastic. That was what he came up with, just as a framework, because... It's too bad it was longer than 30 seconds. It definitely was. So it's just a framework, but what I was thinking was, you know, you would always put forth the idea of, that you liked, the idea of... a of uh, like a, a civilization on this planet that was once giants. So everything that we're used to, bridges, roads, buildings. Humongous. They're right. humongous. They're giant. So And ruined. <laughs> right, exactly. Definitely ruined. Ruined is so, so important. So what I like the idea of is this, and I call it expanse just because it's, it's, what I'm seeing is like a main vein, if you will, that goes all the way around the entire world. It reminds me of like in science fiction, the like superstructure. Yeah, like a Mobius ring, sort of, yeah. in a way. But then throughout it, there have been all, you know, uh, all these little offshoots and, and, and different worlds, which allow you to create worlds that are, you know, if you want to do a section that's swamp, because people swamp settled there. Mm-hmm. And so not only do you have this original base ancient civilization, right, of these, you know, apparently giant people or beings or whatever, you now have, I would say, incorporated enough time to have had other civilizations rise and fall after they were cut off from, you know, the rest of the planet like, existence. And I really liked your gold rush analogy, that this was a place where people flocked right. millennia ago, two millennia ago, and then something happened you know, cataclysms, cataclysms are cliche, but because they're awesome. Right. And that, that locked a whole bunch of different people from a bunch of dis- different worlds. Right. Which is cool because we did want a melting pot world. Yeah. 
Well, then again, because it, I think it, at least to begin for sure, I, I think coming up with a world where you were more laser focused is actually a little bit more difficult because mm-hmm. you're going to lock yourself into all kinds of rules. Um, but I like the idea of the melting pot type of idea because I don't think you get locked into rules. Um, we were still kind of, you know, still, you know, obviously I'm still open at, on all things, but definitely on the MacGuffin. But I, you know, we had talked about stones and there's always been something. And the reason I went with the water was because I like the idea. It's not actually water. Like the idea would be that it is, it's definitely liquid in form, but I like the idea that if you can get a hold of enough of this and quench a blade in it, quenching the blade in this liquid imbues it with certain it's, magical it's qualities. It's the cerebrospinal fluid in no, nowhere. Right, right. Where there, actually, you know, I didn't think about that, but yeah, that type of a thing where, you it's know, the um, life blood of the world. One particular type of this tide, when used in medicine, is incredibly potent. All this type of thing, you know, and of course, it can all be built. But I was just trying to come up with something a little bit different. And I think what uh, what those of you who are following along, what this comes to is that with any world, you want to have what is the source of magic? What is the thing that sparks all the magic? So. Right. Um, in what is it? In the the Dungeon Dudes recent release, the Dungeons of Drakenheim, the magic in general, most of the magic for that adventure and source book are written from crystals that came falling from an asteroid. And if you think about it, like going through fantasy fiction, like there is not a single material that has not been used at some point as the source of magic in that book. I think Brandon right. Sanderson's got like ten different materials. Right. He's used. I've seen crystals. I've seen metal. You've got your like Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, Brian McClellan did gunpowder and glass. Now you've got. I'm sure like Avatar did the elements. There's like nothing has that has been not touched. Light, shadow, everything, blood. So what is our when you so when you say MacGuffin, you mean like what is that? Sparking? Yeah, I guess MacGuffin isn't the right word, but yeah, yeah. Like what is I don't that? I think it's the wrong word. Yeah. And so yeah, what what is the thing that everyone draws from? I mean, D and D itself, uh, divine magic is huge, and unless they changed it, magic magic is divine in nature as well, because there was a god of magic last I knew. Well, this is something we're going to have to take a note on and look up for next episode. Yeah, I feel like they. Are I know still there's the a, weave. I still like there's still a. God, but I think that that was that was controlled by a god of magic, like a goddess of magic, Mithra or something like that, isn't it? Mithara, Mistara, Mistara or something. It's something. Well, okay, so yeah, we'll make a note. These will be the first comments we get. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, how could you not know this? Well, yeah. Well, it's because it's only changed a billion times and doesn't matter day to day gaming. But oh, I'm I do so believe... sorry that we don't have the Forgotten well Realms lore right. memorized. So, but I do believe that I, I yeah. believe in then, even then, the magic still has a divine origin. Okay, you know, if you have a patron or, or whatever, you know, an eldritch god it's still your power is still kind of flowing through because that's one of the tenets of D is remember gods are not a question here right they, you know they they do exist so even on a and a world like athos for uh, dark sun they did exist at one point they're just dead now right or which gone. in and of itself leaves you know a void which must be addressed well and that's the whole point of that particular campaign setting it's like here have fun it's brutal and violent and there's no healing yeah so, i guess if that's fun for you well, and Dragonlance, I mean, Dragonlance's whole thing was that it picked up af- post-cataclysm, at least the books were, you know, the books were used to, and healing, it was, what's her name, Moon? Goldmoon. Goldmoon was the first healing cleric again. Yeah, she was right? the first cleric. That is the goal of that first famous Dragonlance adventure, I do believe, that you mm-hmm. have to go to the, to the ruins of Zaxaroth right. and take the big well down, and there's the giant black dragon that just basically killed everyone every single time, mm-hmm. but then there's a statue there, and you can become a cleric of whatever... God that was. I don't recall. Yeah. 
which is sad considering how many times I reread those. Again, I had a Dragonlance bookshelf. Yeah. I never got into reading the Forgotten Realms books, which is why I don't know the goddess of magic off the top of my head. Right. I was a very big Dragonlance reader. So, again, I went with the water, the liquid, if you will, just because... The fluid? <laughs> See, I don't want to say no, fluid. No, I don't want to say problem. fluid either. I, I mean, yeah. it could be water, but it, it doesn't definitely need to be water. It could be... But I don't know. I just thought... And then what was it? So, at the end, each different type of water that's found could be, you know, again, imbue different types of things. It doesn't give us the opportunity to have variations on the right. thing. Right. Which but if we it, just refer to it right now as the thing, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. It's just idea, idea zero that goes mm-hmm. along with the... Okay, so if we have our world, I'm super happy just to roll for now with what you've got there. That, okay, and then that we'll works just for me. adjust it over time. I can't really complain because I didn't have anything better. <laughs> so oh, there you go. So my idea, My idea was a stone. A special kind of right. stone, not an ore, because I didn't want it to turn into a metal, right? But an actual stone, just because I liked the idea of dwarves wearing stone armor, which right. I'm sure has been done somewhere. I am a yeah, where it's like their skin, something like that. Yeah, something like that. So if we have our source of magic, mm-hmm. the tide, yeah, which would need to change anyway, because I think, well, I mean, you tell me. Here's another idea of designing, right? Because as we're sitting here and you're saying tide, I'm reminded of the further adventures of Luke Skywalker that came out post. The Last Jedi, or maybe before The Last Jedi. It was a book. I don't know if this is The Further Adventures. In it, it's a bunch of short stories that deal with Luke Skywalker. And one of the times that Luke becomes... Basically, Luke travels the galaxy looking for different interpretations of the Force because he's got to teach himself, right? He doesn't have a teacher to turn to. And one of the one of the users is a planet of water that basically... But they call it the tide, but it's really the Force. And their argument is that the, the tide moves as it is. You don't move the tide. And that a typical Force user violates the rules of the Force. But that's definitely getting a little far afield. But I am familiar with a mysterious power called the tide. We could, so do you, does that count? Like I, it, if, if we if we liked it enough and we stuck with it, does it, you know what I mean? I don't think anyone has the rights on something like tide, a right. tide. I, you know, I will bring it back to my favorite poem. I always think, I love the phrase, the blood dimmed tide mm-hmm. from the second coming by William Butler Yeats. Right, my favorite. And everywhere the blood dimmed, blood dimmed tide is loosed, you know? Yeah. But we can call it the something tide. Right. Yeah, I just threw a name out there. Yes, or yeah. we will come up with a different brainstorm of water right. well, phrases. Right, because again, this is a process, and exactly. it's, hard to, it's hard to remember. And it's okay. It's okay yeah. to remember. It's okay. Yeah. Don't stress. Yeah, Some, um, and, it's, and it's difficult because we're talking about it on the fly. We are. Yeah, we don't really prepare too much for what the other one is going to hear. I don't know if we specified that in Zero. We did not. Yeah, for the most part, we don't plan on really knowing exactly what each of us is going to say. We have a rough a rough format yep. that we know we're going to follow. I write down things, you write down things, and we surprise each other a little bit. Yeah, exactly. All right, All right so, so, we'll we'll go, so we're going to assume we're going with this world. Sure. Okay. Let's, let's for now, let's, for lack let's of anything assume else. that. Every world, so if we've got, our, we've got our thing, we need to have some locations. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. I've got an affinity mm-hmm. for peninsulas. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, a peninsula is a really cool landmass to start with, especially when you're starting with like locations. If you think about it, you've got your access to water. You can put islands off a peninsula. You can block that peninsula off from a greater area. Because when I think about like locations, I think about having a city, a settlement, and untamed wilds. Because between those three things, you can cover a lot of ground. Yeah. A dungeon can be in any of them or yeah. under any of them. Yeah. 
But if you have a city for your urban stuff, a settlement for your your stories that take place in that conflict between the wild and civilization, you know, your your yep. wild west, your classic wild west or feudal Japan yeah. stories, and then your your untamed wilds for your your true adventuring. Yeah. I like this idea of I have this idea of a place I call the Foreland Peninsula, the Foreland Peninsula. Um, the land in front, the foreland, mm-hmm. um, which is blocked off from the major landmass beyond it by a ginormous uh, mountain range filled with giant ruins. Sure. And the settlements of all these people have, that's the mountains where they would mine the, the MacGuffin substance, the, mm-hmm. the tide, yep. the water, whatever, yep. the water of life. And the there's, a, there's one major city that's like the, the landing point where everyone was like, Oh, we're locked off on this world now. We need to we need to adapt some of these ruins and actually have a place to live. Right. Um, if you think about it, if you and a bunch of other people were suddenly trapped on a world, the first thing you'd probably do is you'd come up with your basic needs of life, you know, your your food, shelter, everything like that. Right. But then you'd also spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get off the world. Right. And so you might not well, put a lot of time into I mean, depending on how old the world is though, maybe people have left that idea behind. Well, that's what I'm right. thinking. That's yeah. one of the things like it's just I'm sitting here thinking yeah. about that. There are going to be people who left that idea behind and now accept this as their world. Right. But there's also going to be people who refuse to. So now mm-hmm. we've got like conflicting uh factions of thought. Right. Which is going to be good something to save in our pocket for later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also like the idea of the giant thoroughfare in mm-hmm. some form, like the road system, because it kind of opens up what I envisioned as some form of Mad Maxian, like <laughs> travel, moving cities type of things that are that just travel up and down this thing, stagecoach robbery oh, type yeah. things, like you, you know, in this massive wild expanse that can take you all the way around. But it's all broken and everything, so there's right. they have to. You can't just like I don't want to remove the travel aspect, but I want there mm-hmm. to be. Well, you can travel on the jungle floor, the forest floor, the mountain floor, whatever have you, right? Which is dangerous. One set of un- dangers. One set of dangers, or you can go on the, the road, which comes with its own different set of right. dangers. Right, it's all a different kind of paint. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. Pick your poison. Yeah. You would have to. I like this idea. They would have to be slowly building and repairing. And coming mm-hmm. up with ways to span, like if this, if you've got this giant elevated highway that giants right. used to walk on, which again is also not a new idea by right. any stretch of the imagination. Right. I don't think I've ever done seen one that's the structure is the planet. Like we don't. I like the idea of not knowing how far. Well, the I mean, they goes. don't necessarily need to know, but you know, also when you run into the idea when you take that kind of cowboy approach, if this thing spans the whole world and there's gaps in it. You know, you could, you know, they're they're trying to expand empires out, and people on the other sides of these huge things are like, no, no, this is my piece of this is mine. Bridge. You're not even coming over here, you know. And then you have that kind, you have those kind of conflicts you can do. Oh, I like that. You know what I mean? And and like the because if this thing is big enough, there's these separate chunks, and then of course there's the actual geography, mm-hmm. which has its own challenges and its own things. It's you adding know. like a, th- it's adding third dimension. I suppose, yeah, in a way. In a way, like it's um, just—it's. I mean, it's what I what I envisioned based, you know, based off the giant thing was as big of a sandbox as humanly possible, right? Which will make our first outing at this, I think, a little easier because we can then do, you know, is there desert along the way? Yeah, there's desert along the way. You know, if the, if we want to do a desert type of thing, because ultimately what we want to do is we want to develop something that provides dungeon masters and players the tools to have fantastic adventures. Right, because we don't want it to only be us. Right. You know, we want to be able to share this with people eventually and let them, I mean, you know, get back to us and say, oh, look, we added this in based Which on is whatever lore was designed. Great. Right, totally. Um, I, you know, it, it'll be ours, but I don't want to feel excessively 
excessively possessive of it you know yeah yeah if someone sent a thing saying hey i took this thing you guys made i love it here's all the different ways i changed it for my game that would tickle me pink yeah that'd be the best so yeah all right so if we have our we have our let's say we go with our peninsula sure Um, that is our starting point yeah yeah we have our our city now i've told you my idea for a cool city and this is this really just comes from like what would be cool? I'm walking around. I'm doing stuff. I'm I'm cleaning the house. I'm walking outside to the dogs or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think, what would be cool? What would be cool? And my what would be cool is a city that's built on basically a series of giant bridges that spanned a huge chasm, dropping miles and miles down to a raging river. Right. So you have what for a giant, and these giants might be bigger than D and D giants. Who knows? Right. Like leviathans. I don't know what you want to call them. We yeah. don't even know what they look like. Mm-hmm. But well, like whenever you see uh, Cthulhu represented in film, mm-hmm. he's so massive. Mm-hmm. Like, could they be that big? I mean, because that's the other thing too. We have to always remember also in world building, it's our world. There's no size. This could be you know stuff a hundred Jupiters inside our world. For what do we care? Exactly. You know, it's our rules. So if they're gigantic, I don't care about the physics. Right. I don't care whether or not you could sustain an atmosphere. As long as we can, as long as we can reasonably suspend our disbelief for the physics and and the science, I think we're good. I mean, we'll agree to that. You know, ground rule in vain. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so having old abandoned giant structures that have now been turned into settlements for medium sized humanoids, right. I just like that idea. Like this is this was a giant single story house, and it's a four story home for humanoids well, and, that and have been retrofitted. E- inside. And it's even open because I know we've had these conversations before. You and I aren't necessarily uh, excessively goofy. No. We don't generally like goofy, but it does open up an awful lot of you know, honey, I shrunk the kids type scenarios for people who do like to play that way. Right. See, when I think of when I personally, when I'm the ima- imagining being faced with something huge, yeah. It fills me with dread. Okay. Very, very, very large things scare me. I don't know hmm. why. All right. But they, they intimidate me. I look up and I, like, you, I go to New York and I see a skyscraper. And, I, and it makes me uneasy. So sure. like when I think that, that's I'm sure coming from that part of me, that big things make me uneasy. Right. So when I think about like Cthulhu or like when I try to like imagine how big Jupiter is. Well, I remember when you saw the Eternals. Oh, my God. Point of oh, my the God. Celestial the Celestials the when they like appear nothing. in the sky. Oh. Yeah, that's interesting. Sorry. That was a spoiler. Oh, well, was it? That movie came out a year ago. Oh, that's right. It did come yeah, out a year ago. Yeah, that's an old one. Yeah. Oh, just does... so you guys all know, that's our that's our policy. Our policy on that is, you know... We... If it came out a year ago, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. If uh, you can watch it on Disney Plus at this point. Yeah, actually, that that's safe. So... It, for Marvel stuff, that's safe. So if it's on Disney Plus, we're probably going to talk about it. So yeah. So that scene at the end when that, that uh, the celestial appears in the atmosphere yeah. above Earth was so well done. It's mm-hmm. the very first time I've ever seen a movie do something like that in scale. Right, that made me feel like an instant tightening of my stomach, like that that H.P. Lovecraft cosmic horror of oh my gosh, how insignificant I am. Right, that's how I feel with very large things. I so much better. Like, why couldn't they have done Galactus like that in Fantastic Four instead of a cloud? Um, well, so my, I have opinions on that. I, I think it's because Galactus has he. I think Galactus is not inherently the most cinematic looking character design. On He's the goofy. planet. He's goofy. He has a giant oversized head. It's purple. And he wears purple pants. <laughs> you know, and a pur- he's all purple. T- you know, he's a very cool character once you look past. I, I just thematically, he's going to have to change a lot. I think visually, you'd have to alter him a great deal. I think that's why you never saw him. But yeah, that's how big he should be. Yeah. Like you that. Know? when I saw that Celestial, I thought, the oh, they could, do, they could totally do Galactus. Yeah. As long as they change what it looked like a little bit. A little bit at least. Yeah. And I will, I, I will hold that line. 
<laughs> Absolutely. All right. So as far as, so we have a, a city. A village is not hard. A village is always going to be a village. Mm-hmm. Do, what do you think? Should our village be on a giant superstructure or on the ground? Or is it a village that spans between the two with an up and down system? I just had that idea right now as I oh, was Oh, yeah. Talking. You would definitely do the up and down system because then that allows you the drama of class. Yes. Right? So oh. the, the people that are up, they're safer. Yeah, we have know. to create a world that has right the ins and outs. That sounds awful. Yeah, it does. But but we've got listen, to create it. And this this was a thing from zero from double zero that I was thinking back on when I and I didn't clarify the point. So when we were talking about isms, which oh, yeah. my kiddo was nice enough to point out, it's not called a homophobism. But I, I said it's I said it's good enough, right? Like I, it gets the point across the isms. But the only thing about it is like we don't want to we don't want to show racism. You know, we don't want to endorse it. But at the same time, I'm going to be very honest. If there's some kind of bigoted person, I would love to throw them off of the upper layer as a player down because part of the wish fulfillment is, is so knocking those people down. Do we have to create, you know, would I prefer not living in a world where there are, you know, uh, levels of, you know, the haves and the have nots? Of course. However, I would love to throw a have off of a cliff. So, yeah. you know, you have to have, you know, just. As long as, you know, and our rules in general, you're just not going to celebrate. Dungeons and Dragons, the only game where you could possibly, literally, eat the rich. Right, exactly. And that's fine. Yeah. No judgment. It's multiple cultures, so it's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, as I'm sitting here, I'm having that idea of, like, why not that, that settlement, that which usually is located on the edge of the untamed wild, you know, right. whatever your untamed wild is. So you have an option. You can be up top, or we can come down to the bottom. Yeah. And traversing between the two so we have a city on yep. a series of different you know bridges at different levels over a giant ravine yeah is ravine the right word i want something bigger than ravine to me sounds small but you know what i mean i'm thinking like, like grand canyon canyon, yeah, canyon. So canyon. thank you yeah so like a full-on canyon so okay. a full-on canyon so imagine the grand canyon with just a shitload of bridges yeah spanning it and then cities built on the superstructures mm-hmm. that's my idea for a city yeah so we have a village on the edge of the untamed wilds my idea for untamed wilds with mountains, but I'm open to others. I'm. It could be a jungle. It could be. I, I thought something that locked the peninsula off from the mainland because you have creating that physical barrier but opens up opportunities to. Okay, explore. so any barrier can be traversed. Yeah. Either way, so it, it could be a, it, could it could be a be... horrible swamp. It could be a jungle of unfathomable darkness and despair. It could be a forest of black trees that weep blood. It could right. be mountains that scrape the sky. Okay. What yeah. do you think? Um, Share with me your thoughts. Well, I, I mean, I definitely, I inherently feel like an untamed jungle has more opportunities for scary things and challenges, mm-hmm. I guess. I, I find it easier to envision, especially if we're doing lost civilizations. It's, my imagination takes a shortcut with a jungle. I feel it's easy to imagine a jungle has taken over mm-hmm. an old pyramid an is that a city. hill in the distance or is right. that an old superstructure that's now grown over? Right. Because though, you know, I mean, forests, you know, normal, uh, what, what are they called uh, in North America? Vestigial? No. A, that means a, extra. Right. A standard forest, like an Amer- a North American forest. Deciduous. Deciduous. There it is. There it is. The deciduous forest can certainly overtake a structure. But for some reason, my imagination finds a jungle easier to see, and there's more vines and more intimidating. Jungle. Right, I, I think that's what it is. It's, it's and there are deciduous rainforests. It's yeah, like that's true. Oregon, but at any rate, so I, I'm. I guess I'm voting jungle, and we'll just 
All right. Come right back to jungle. And we can come up and certainly some, maybe it's a jungle that has strange pillars of stone sticking up everywhere that serve no purpose that anyone can figure out. And people maybe can't even reach them. They try and fail and never return. Well, I mean, because in, in the whole giant hulking people, I'm picturing, you know, whole villages built on the handle of a hammer. Oh. You know what I mean? That just got left behind. Oh. They've, they've, like, carved themselves out of it. And they, you know, to them, it almost doesn't mean anything. It just is what it is. Did you ever play the new God of War game? Uh, the new one, no. Okay. Just a little. So in the new God of War game, there's several times... Um, well, I know in, in God of War 2, there are several times where you, you adventure through the corpse of a titan. You do that in God of War 3. Okay. The, the whole opening of God of War 3 is you are on Gaia's back as she is climbing Mount Olympus. To go kill Zeus and everybody. To go kill Zeus and all the gods, and they're sending down threats. And you're on her, and the camera pans in, and you become itty-bitty, teeny-tiny to show the perspective, and then it zooms in while you fight. And then eventually uh, climaxing with a battle against um, Poseidon. Yeah, there's something similar in the newest God of War. There's like a giant, and the the Jotuns mm-hmm. in the God, new God of War are humongous to the point where like there's one that like fell on his own chisel or something like that, and they have to explore around his body. Okay, and yeah. it's it's very so. When you said a civilization built on an abandoned hammer, it just made my, my yeah my little I mean, cosmic horror heart flutter because that's you know that's the way we can play with the immensity of it. Mm-hmm. You know, again, depending on what size we want to make exactly. everything. So, all right, that means we have an idea for a world, the start of an idea for a world, right? The, the beginning, somewhere to work from, a start of a source of magic, mm-hmm. and some locations to play with. All right, that means we now have enough. We've it's like we're we're like uh, put the the base coat on our canvas. Yeah, yeah. Now we can start drawing happy trees. Yeah, absolutely. So the happiest of it. Well, not so too when Bob happy. Ross first puts that gesso on. Right. And I have he, a squirrel in my pocket. Exactly. Always so we've got the gesso on. We've done our sky blue. We've blended it down to like a nice crimson red at the bottom. And now we can start drawing some happy trees. Our happy trees. Let's let's talk a little bit about monsters. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. So when I think about monsters, uh, I mentioned in episode zero, and I want to come back to this, uh, as far as learning about designing monsters. Now, I've designed a couple of monsters for our game. Yep. You, so you're coming into this with like nothing, right? Yeah, not really. I mean, I've come up with a monster for fun, mm-hmm. but not it, not to be applied. But not and not mechanically, correct? Yeah. Okay. So there's a great blog called Blog of Holding that is run by Paul Hughes, and Paul Hughes wrote a blog post again, linked in the show notes, called the Monster Manual on a Business Card. Yep. And what he did in this post is he did a st- a mathematic statistical analysis of all the monsters in the Monster Manual. Mm-hmm. Mike Shea talked about this. Yes, he did. Yeah. He talks numerous about it times. Yeah. numerous times. Uh, numerous lots times. of people mentioned this post. It's become very, very popular. Right. Because it, he breaks them all down through all the levels, going from CR0 all the way up to CR26. And when he has his, on a business and card. Just to clarify, everyone knows that CR means challenge rating? CR does mean challenge rating. And that is how you determine. So if you are a true, true novice with us. Right. CR is challenge rating. It determines how you do the math for encounter. And again, I only bring that up because our wives. That's the last game. We kept saying CR. And then finally, one of them was like, what is CR? (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. We've been playing for a year and a half. Right. Yes. I probably should have covered that. It's probably never come up. But so, yeah, challenge rating is how you determine what monster your heroes can handle. Mm -hmm. And um, so continue. So, So, yeah, so he breaks down monsters going from challenge rating zero all the way through challenge rating 26. He he also has a version that expands out to a page. And he says right there, you can use it as a replacement for the monster generation page in the 
the Dungeon Master's Guide. And it's brilliant. It really is fantastic because you can say really quickly, especially for your own home game, if you're running a game at home, you don't need to go through like all the, the super detailed crunchy steps. You could take this and go, well, I want a CR 10 monster. And it tells me exactly for a CR 10, challenge rating 10 monster, what its average armor class, hit points, attack bonus, a damage output, and DC saves would be. And you can adjust those numbers up. And he says, like, well, if you adjust this one up, you can, you know, dial this part back. And what's uh, DC, DC stands DC for? DC stands for difficulty class. Okay. Okay, so difficulty class. So when the monster, this applies to if the monster does something. Say the monster spits fire. Yep. The difficulty class to for a, a dexterity saving throw to roll out of the way. Okay. So they all, their difficulty classes increase with the level of the monster to make them harder or easier as you scroll up and down the scale. And then that usually traditionally uh, affects the outcome of damage, right? Correct. So whether you mitigate it somewhat or most often it's mitigate it somewhat. It's very often, yeah. it's not often that you miss it. Exactly. You, if you know if you make the save, you might take half damage. That actually starts applying at higher levels, I think. Um, at lower levels, you can you have more like, oh, you made the save, you don't take anything. Gotcha. Okay. But there's all sorts of different elements that go into that. So designing a monster can get really crunchy. So I, I highly recommend reading the Blog of Holding article on this. But what's really awesome, and I mentioned this in the last episode, and I will mention it a million times more unapologetically. I will not say sorry. Right. Because Paul Hughes, based on his mathematical analysis of these monsters, was asked to write the the monster book for uh, EN World Publishing's Level Up 5e by mm-hmm. Morris. And um, if you are not familiar with Level Up 5e, I will put a link in the show notes to this as well. Because again, remember that if you're along designing alongside us, we are also sharing the resources that we are using to come up with our stuff. So, right, and the mathematics of it all is going to be... Yeah. I, I'll I do can't my do, best. Exactly, right. Yeah. I am not a mathematician. Yeah. I was an English major. Right. So I very much appreciate Mr. Paul Hughes for the work he did in doing all this crunchy math for me. And what's really cool is he took this article. When they asked him to write that monster book, he used this mathematical analysis to write the monster book. But he also came at every monster from a story point of view, which is where he wins my heart over. Like, he's like, not enough. The best example of this is he says in the book, it's it's not enough that a creature has legendary resistance three. He writes in a story element to the creature to explain why it has legendary resistance three. For dragons, their legendary resistance is represented by uh, scales turning to dust and falling off of them, which eventually lowers their hit points or their armor class as well. For those of you who are not aware at home, Legendary resistance is something that special monsters have that allow them to choose to pass a failed saving throw. So if you try to cast sleep on a legendary resistance monster and uh, the dungeon master rolls a one, they can go, you know what? No. I, that instead right. is a that is a success, not a fail. Right. They can do it three times. Because when you have four or, or five guys on one. Exactly. It's meant to make a monster easier to fight one on, one on five or one on four or whatever. Right. So he writes in story elements to support all these different mechanics, which, again, that's my jam. Like, story elements, I think the story should drive everything. I want to come at every monster we come up with with a story. Right. And we're, and we're creating this from the per, this whole world, whatever world we settle on, um, from the perspective of fun for the player, not to punish and or... Exactly. You know, uh, kill the player. Exactly. I it mean, should be you know, scary. They die, it should be dangerous. Yeah, there's a con. We, you know, there's got to be consequence. But um, I think that's what balance is about, right? When you're creating these creatures and you're testing them, you're testing them out to make sure that there's there's balance there, and it's not just going to mow over. Right. Because again, what fun is that? Exactly. So when we come up with several of these and we put them all together, 
and we have um, our friend Roldwolf uh, right. run a playtest. Yeah. He's our professional dungeon master friend who will be doing our playtesting. Yeah. Then uh, we want him to challenge the players that play in that playtest, but we, we're we not looking for him to like, hi, mowed the, I wiped the floor with him right, in right. 30 seconds. Wiping them out is not success to us. No. You know, and again, you, you look across the role-playing game culture mm-hmm. in general, and you know, we've had this conversation again many times where I'm just like, wow, some people are really harsh. Yeah. I mean, it's what, what's who wants to waste four hours? You know, so we don't build we don't build to kill the player. I'm sure there's people who play that way and they like that. And that's great. Yeah. Um, Bless. But not what we're going for. Exactly. Yeah. So we want a challenging world. We want a, a world that is dangerous and can be frightening at times, but it's ultimately can be overcome. Hmm. So when we look at starting with just let's talk through the story of a monster. So okay. we've got some ideas now for our world. We've got a jungle. We've got water. We've got giant bridges. We need, and I, I don't know, you tell me, I think we should, should we start small? Well, yeah, because that's how it would run and that's how it would go in the game. Yeah. And if small. you were also, if you were learning, it's easier right. to start small. Yeah. Well, actually, it's this weird thing though, because it starts, it's actually more complicated if it's too small and then it normalizes out the math of encounter building in D gets squiffy super low and then it normalizes out around like level three four right um, because it's super hard it's super hard to balance low level encounters from yeah. speaking from the point of view of dungeon mastering again i mean i think we talked about this one time where it almost like you have low level characters it's almost better to have like an npc that they're working for yeah because otherwise keeping them alive is hard yeah what i want to use is so paul hughes wrote this blog and then he wrote the monster book for level up 5e and he wrote a great chapter in there on creating a monster and it takes this and expands it out to a whole chapter he says like well if you're going to increase this decrease this other element by 15 percent it's worked out really well anytime i've done it for our game so i think that should sort of be our yeah i'm perfectly comfortable using that as our base for learning how to get comfortable designing these monsters Mm -hmm. for you and me yeah so if we start low we start with low. We're going to start with with a low level monster. What are what do we think? Do we want to do? Do you want to? What do you think? Should we do a less than one? Should we do something like like I think a goblin is like a quarter or a half CR. I don't remember off the top. Right. Of my yeah, head. they're disposable as non player characters. Right. Exactly. Can make goblins that are right. See, you know, you can have Boblin the goblin, who's the the party loves, but they're still a right. low CR monster. Goblins yeah. have always represented danger to low level parties. And to high level parties are a joke. So yeah, so there's goblins, um, kobolds, kobolds. Yep, yeah. uh, these are the the cannon fodder. Cannon fodder. We need cannon fodder. So we need cannon fodder. Yeah, I guess. Okay, so we start we start with a cannon fodder. Yeah. Okay. And we haven't discussed this at all in any way, and I haven't really given it much thought. So this is really rough. So if we do, let's say we want dark fantasy, so we do want there to be an edge of danger to our world. So I do think to, to challenge ourselves, we should go lower than CR1. But I don't want to go to like CR18. I'm thinking bug, bug-based bug creatures. A bug-based creature? I yes. do well, Jungles and bugs. Jungles and bugs. And I'm also, in my mind, I'm envisioning... King Kong? Well, no. Well, no, what I'm, what I'm envisioning is at one point, at one point there were giant, massive, gargantuan beings living here. And they had parasites and things that agitated them fleas, mm-hmm. whatever would have impacted them just as much, but now they're gone. Have you seen Kong Skull Island? Is I it mean, Kong Skull Island? 
So Skull one Island. with it's just called Skull Island. The one with Jack Black and Adrian Brody. No. Oh, 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 way back. Yes, I know what you mean. The one that, that has King the Kong. one her, the Peter Jackson. Peter King Jackson's Kong. King Kong. So Peter Jackson's King Kong. There's the scene where they get attacked by giant bugs, and there's yep. a scene where one guy slowly gets his head eaten by like a maggot the size yeah. of a wolfhound. That was uh, Andy Serkis, wasn't it? Yeah, it yeah. was the most horrific thing. I one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. It was yeah. so uncomfortable. But yeah, we should have some sort of an insectoid. Yeah, like creature. an insectoid small cannon fodder creature. Okay. We have structures and civilizations built on suspended bridges. Mm-hmm. Should our cannon fodder be something that is it native to the land below the superstructures or has it adapted to live on the superstructure? Is it is it a silverfish clinging to the underside of the bridge? Well, okay. So I guess what I'm picturing, I mean, that sounds great, mm-hmm. pinning it for sure. But when I'm picturing a cannon fodder character, I'm ex- I'm picturing more mobile. Okay. Slightly smartish, but not super smart. So when I think of it, because I think of like kobolds, you know, we with the examples we gave, kobolds and, and goblins. So you're thinking are, in like an insectoid humanoid? Yeah. Oh, okay. So then yeah. ultimately then that would be yeah, we that classification. If we look through the different types of monsters, yeah. Um, they are aberrations, beasts, celestials, constructs, dragons, elementals, fae, fiends, giants, humanoids monstrosities oozes plants undead i think insects like straight up insects like giant scorpions count as beasts okay um in the monster manual beasts are if they are naturally evolved monstrosities are if they are um, preternaturally preternaturally evolved exactly which is why people are complaining about the druid turning into an owlbear in the D D movie trailer Oh well, because like, druids can't turn into owl bears. I can guarantee you that in D and D one or one D and D, that's going to be a thing a druid can do. Oh, you're probably right. It's going to come back around, and they're going to well, go, "Oh, what? Yes, they can." Look, they're writing a prequel novel for the right. movie, and in it, it they they that's part of the plot of the book is this druid who turns into an owl bear. Here's a crazy idea: instead of deciding what is happening in the movie by waiting to watch the movie, <laughs> yeah, like, right, exactly. Imagine if they explain that. Can you imagine? It could be a plot point. <laughs> Unbelievable. Come on. People don't complain about stuff before they have all the information. Yeah, I know. That's weird. That's me. I'm, that, wasn't, that, wasn't, that was unkind of me. <laughs> so we have an insectoid, um, humanoid, humanoid insectoids. I like this. Yeah. What bug grosses you out the most? Well, so the ones I can think of that... Okay, so the bug that grossed me out the most was when I came in contact with the house centipede the first time. Okay. They're just... The way they move freaks me out. But if we're, if we're going to humanoid it, humanoid humanoid it and if i'm going to think of something really compatible with it can you imagine a humanoid that's limbs were covered in centipede legs yeah okay so maybe we can i mean so have you seen a house centipede no oh wait are you talking about silverfish no 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 a house centipede is a different thing okay um We'll that's put a picture in the show notes, but I'm going to show you. This is what it. So right, while he looks up the house centipede, that I'm is the to. bug that gets me the most. So mine has it, always it cured been. me of a spirit of a generalized fear of spiders. Oh, okay, yeah. Spiders don't freak me out at all. They used to, for but, me, but silverfish. No. There's nothing worse than picking up a pile of stuff off the basement floor and a giant silverfish <laughs> scuttling out faster than anything should be allowed to move in a dark basement. Well, of course, that's also why I don't like house centipedes because my first experience with them. That's exactly what I call a silverfish. Oh, well, there you have it. So, so uh, ladies and gentlemen at home, the picture he just showed me is a silverfish. <laughs> or it's a house center. I hate it. They move I, with the power is it, of So have I been calling leg. it the wrong thing or are you calling it the wrong thing or is it known by both? I've heard it both ways. House centipede or also... Okay, well, here's, here's the next thing. 
Um, see, well, now we'd look up silverfish. So I don't know how much of this we, if we edit any of this, but it's part of the process. It is. I don't think we should edit this at all because. Okay. Oh no! So they are they are two separate horrible creatures. Is that a silverfish? That's a, that's what I know as, know of as a silverfish. Okay. So so first of I've all, listeners, not a fish, not a fish. To be clear, horrible, horrific bug. Yes. Unless you love bugs, bless. Yes. So house centipede then is my is my least okay, favorite so, bug. Okay, so we, strangely, we have the same one. <laughs> House Centipede, I, I just remember sitting on the floor of my home, apartment I owned, you know, rented many years ago. I stood up and one of those came out from the couch where I was sitting on the floor right behind me. Terrifying. Ugh. They move, like the, the, the motion is singular. Again, we'll link it. You all, I know the side, like the, whoa, the side yeah. to side thing. Anyone awful. listening I know wants to see this thing right now. So we will have a link. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so yeah, how centipede. So, so we're going to so come with a legs. humanoid? A hu- that's the thing. There's so many legs and I'm trying to figure out how should I it be. Should we start with a humanoid or should we just make it a, a beast? Well, should at we- this point, again, here, creative... And again, listeners, we are... Is it going to make it shooting freakier the, to combine it with a humanoid? Do we want them to be intelligent? Here's a question. Do they have speech? Do they talk? Goblins uh, talk. Kobolds yeah. talk. So if we're doing a goblin or a kobold, then yeah, they should talk. But does that make them less scary? But they can't talk until they take the mouth of a victim. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Louise. <laughs> and they, and they, they hold on to it. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So that's, so that's going to be where we're going to. So right. that's where we need to. We we know that we want to create a monster based on a house centipede, not a silverfish. Not a silverfish. We learned a something house today. Centipede. I learned. Yeah. I apologize for all the years that I've called those well, silverfish. Silverfish are unpleasant. Okay, they're and not, they're very silver, which would actually honestly make sense but as not to at why all they're called fishy. But not at all fishy. Well, they do have a fishish shape to them, but um. House centipedes are worse. Oh, house centipedes are terrible. So, sorry to any listeners from the International House Centipede Enthusiast Guild. Or trigger warning to those of you who have strong phobias of insects. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we're we're building off of our own. Exactly. We are going there with you. Yeah. They make me so uncomfortable. So, a house centipede is a longer insect. But what if it had developed the arms and these incredible length on these arms are protrusions that come out Mm -hmm. and move around. Oh, so it drags itself around. Yeah. So again, I think that at this point, though, we're talking about a beast or a monstrosity. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Because here's my thing for humanoids. Humanoids, and again, I'm right up there. I like not all goblins are bad. I don't like monomyth right. cultures. Yeah. So if we do come up with a you know a version of a goblin for our world, I want it to. I want it potentially. Potentially, it could be a player race eventually. Right. So, Which is what goblin eventually became. I don't know who would want to play a silverfish bear. person. Well, what about a house centipede person? I, ah. <laughs> took to reprogram your whole brain yeah. well, we've got 42 years of reprogramming yeah i can't imagine someone wanting to play a house centipede race but unless we made them intriguing takes all and kinds and which made them intriguing and interesting so i think that's what we need to focus on for planning for our next episode yeah we need to come up with what is the so we know we're, we have an inspiration house yeah. centipede yeah we have jungle ruined bridge mm-hmm. and we have either beast or uh, either yeah beast monstrosity or humanoid and we have to do some brainstorming and come into our next episode talking those things and going through then so we can start with some of that inspiration and then we can jump into maybe some of the mechanics using paul hughes work yeah that sounds great does that work for you yeah all right but i think that brings us right about to time right yeah yeah so we don't want to take up too much of everyone's time exactly so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much Absolutely. for joining thank us today you. a reminder that we here at uh, fourth pillar of play are part of the night shift media group 
Just want to say thank you so much to everyone at home for listening. And we are looking forward to seeing you next time. Check out all of our information at www.fourthpillarofplay.com. All spelled out with words, no numbers in there. I'm Talon. I'm Josh. And we look forward to adventuring with you next time.